All right, Marky, episode 21, we have firefighter, corporal in the Marine Corps, Phil Ryan. Phil, welcome to License to Talk. Oh, thank you. It's great being here. Phil comes and he answers us some questions that our generation really doesn't know. Um, he starts off 1966. He's a time and grad over on Ryan Street, a Ryan on Ryan. Yes. And uh, decides he's going to get into the military. Talk to us about the setting is that time in your life and how you got into the military. Obviously, Vietnam's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I was graduated in 1966. And uh, back then, after high school, if you didn't go into college, everybody was getting drafted. And uh, myself and three of my buddies, uh, time, two time and graduates, uh, Danny Fitzgibbons, myself, Dave Voss, and Joe Russell, uh, we all decided uh, we were going to join the Marine Corps and uh, go in the Marine Corps, and we, we did. We went in 120. We joined, and then we left 120 days later, but all four of us went in the Marine Corps. We all went through boot camp together, and then uh, we all separated after that, and three out of the four of us ended up going to Vietnam. And our one friend, Joe Russell, he broke his neck in boot camp, and he was paralyzed in the waist down. He is today still. Oh, wow. But... Uh, that was, uh, and then we went to Vietnam after that. And you guys go to grammar school together? Uh, well, Danny Fitzgibbons, he went to Bishop Timon too. He was a year, he was two years behind me. I was, I was 19. He was, he was 17 when he, and he was the youngest. He's from the Fitzgibbons family from, uh, they're from Abbey Road, Seneca Street, that area, big family. They, they lived on Lockwood mm -hmm. growing up, but they had about seven, eight kids. And, uh, uh, tell, tell our listeners at that point, it's either, Go to college, join, or be drafted? Yes. Yeah, everybody was... By the time you were 19, uh, if you were, weren't in college, you were drafted. You were... So where are you stationed for boot camp? Where are you going from? You're getting on a plane, you're going to Buffalo. Buffalo to where? Marine Corps. Paris Island. Okay. Paris Island. <laughs> Paris Island. And they do have uh, another one for the West Coast. They've got a uh, over there. But Paris Islands, everybody wants to go to Paris Island if you're a Marine. <laughs> when you walk in, talk, bring us to that that part of your life when, you wa when you're walking into boot camp, what it was like. Uh, a shock to my system. <laughs> Nothing what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Calling us everything from maggots to pieces of SHIT and, <laughs> yeah. and everything else. And they uh, uh, they beat us. They punched us. Uh, you know, that was just back then in the 60s. You know, there was uh, nobody was calling home to their mother and uh, anybody was investigating anything. I mean, it was nothing to get to get punched and whacked and hit while you were in the in basic uh, training. But uh, it was it was a lot of good, a lot of good memories, too. Danny Fitzgibbon's from Seneca Street, he was in with me, and him and I, we'd always try to get to the back of the line and hope that the, that would be the end of that scenario. We wouldn't have to go through it, but that never happened. They always they always went through the whole thing, but uh, a lot of memories. It was for us, it was, uh, for all of us, it was quite a transition at that age. Now, you always see the drill sergeant. Any drill sergeant interactions when you when you get there? Who's your drill sergeant? Do you remember him at all? Or? Still remember his name, Crawford, little, little yeah. black guy, about five <laughs> foot eight, and he, I don't know how many times he hit me. I mean, <laughs> they just say they they really they really beat the piss out of you. I mean, they literally they did. Anybody who was in the Marine Corps and uh, was in Paris Island. I mean, you you didn't. Uh, uh, you didn't screw up. If you did, you were going to be doing push-ups, and there was it was 
nothing to get you get whacked i mean they'd punch you they'd hit you you know was, was that like timing too at the time would you get paddled at timing oh yeah uh father david i think it was whack you i mean they'd slap you right across the face i mean <laughs> and i think it was, and father tim too he was a prefect over there the same thing i mean it was nothing to get i mean just get a good backhand right across the puss it was, uh, and nobody was running home. Nobody was getting sued back then. Yeah. You know, you, you didn't even tell your parents because if I told my parents, I'd get hit again, you know, from yeah. them for giving right. the priests a hard time. Yep. Oh, yeah. 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 In the beginning of this interview, I want to kind of tell our listeners how easy and how soft they are <laughs> growing up because you look at, I mean, you look at this, these kids that are listening to this now, they should really take it in and say, you know, I got it made here. I mean, the kids these days are. They're soft. I always think that the internet kind of took away that uh, that playground. You just go out and you you finish it. It's not like you're going to go and talk to them online and make fun of them and you get to hide behind your computer. It's like back then, it was like you meet them on the playground, right? Yeah. Well, things are a lot different today. Even yeah. back when, when we were kids, I mean, we'd go out and you know we we'd be down at the park all day. We wouldn't even come home for lunch usually, and you know parents didn't even start looking at us until looking for us until six o'clock. I mean it was. And today it's a lot different, you know, with the things that happen with kids and everything else and the safety. But back then, I mean, you were just, you ran all the time, went all over on your bikes. And What was Seneca Street like then? Yeah. I mean, are you seeing any glimpses of it now? Or Well, uh, the hook and ladder thing, I mean, they're really making a lot of improvements and it looks a lot better and uh, things are. But I lived on Ryan Street and we were... Uh, they call us Orion Street Rams, and uh, we were right near uh, the park. The park was right at the end of our street, so we 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 lived at the park all the time, you know. So you're you're into Vietnam now. When you or you're in the boot camp, when you get there, is the war going on at the time? You oh, know yeah. you're going. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, you, you, I went in uh, uh, when I went in October 10th, and. Uh, my first day in Vietnam was April 1st. I mean, you know, like you went through basic, then they called it ITR. You went to, uh, uh, that was in North Carolina too. And then you went to Hawaii and over there you went to jungle training and advanced infantry training and then you were over. But uh, that, that was, I know, I think that was seven months from the day I joined, April 1st. And I always remember because it was April Fool's Day and I thought I got to be the biggest fool in the world. <laughs> April, April 1st being my first day in Vietnam, you know, so... It was six, seven months, and you were over there. Are they? Did they prepare you en- enough? Do you think at the time, or you don't know what to think? Yeah. Well, to, to, they did as as much as they could, but once you got over there, it was completely different. I mean, everything from the heat and, like I mentioned, the smell of the place, and then you know, the people that just that you did see. You know, the you know it was carts and donkeys and stuff. You know, it was just a different civil. It was like back a hundred years and you were going over there and, uh, you know, so they tried to prepare you, but they really couldn't, you know, for. Let's bring uh, the time in grad, stepping off that plane into Vietnam. Bring bring us there because a lot of people, our generation wasn't taught about it in school. You know, nothing with Vietnam through high school, grammar school. I was, the only thing that I've seen to educate me on it is the Ken Burns documentary. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those guys, you know, they, they bring you from when they stepped off the plane. Talk about what what's going through your head when you get to Vietnam. Well, I was, uh, I mean, I was a typical South Buffalo 18-year-old kid that uh, couldn't wait to get to Vietnam and win the war. 
I mean, wow. I you know, I just thought, you know, I mean, I I did I didn't have any fear of dying or anything else. I mean, you know, there was in the newspapers all the time they had the casualties and everything else. But at that time, a 19 year old kid, you know, you I I didn't I I, I didn't think anything bad. I thought I'm going to go over there and win the war. You fearless. Know? Yeah, see, more or less, you know, yeah. you, and 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 when I was in. Uh, 17 to 21, everybody you were with, you know, most, when I, I came back from Vietnam and I went to my first duty station was Philadelphia and I couldn't get a beer. I was 20 years old. It was 21 <laughs> to drink. Oh my God. And everybody in Vietnam, everybody that I was with just about, nobody was over 20 unless they were 21, unless they're an officer. That's gotta be something because you're all, there's not that older guy leading the charge to look up at. You're all kids. We're all kids. I, I'll, Except for the, the lifer, uh, the lifers in the Marine Corps, like there was staff sergeants and gunnery sergeants, right. stuff like that. They were the ones in charge. But other than that, all of us, you know, we we're 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, you know, and, and everybody was the same way. We, we, none of us were really afraid until, until, well, I remember the first time I got hit with rockets and mortars. I mean, oh, my God. Talk about, I was with a guy from Texas. I can, this is what happened. I was with a guy from Texas, and I remember his name, Johnny Taylor, and we were sitting around because we were out the night before uh, on uh, watch duty, and we were just sitting around during the day, and all of a sudden we were sitting there, and they used to hit us with rockets and mortars, and rockets would come in, and they sounded like trains. You'd hear, and then you'd hear like a double concussion when it hit, and we were both sitting there, and we heard it coming, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we knew it. And we just we didn't have any time. It was a matter of seconds, and all of a sudden, it went right over us and blew up behind us. And shrapnel even came through our hooch and hit right near us. And he ran out the other end of the hooch. And I remember there was just a flimsy door on it, but he ran right through the door. He, he didn't even try to open. And he was a big guy. He was six two, about two hundred and twenty. And I just followed him right through. And we jumped, went out and jumped into the bunker. And that one that missed us. There was five CBs and a hooch just about 30 yards, 40 yards beyond us, and it hit them directly and killed off five of them. When you see like a movie now, is there anything that like kind of brings you to that moment? You know uh, to a certain extent. I mean, and myself too over there, I was in supply. I mean, like Danny Fitzgibbons, he was, we went in on the buddy system. Now he was, he carried an M60. He was a machine gunner. And I don't know if you heard of Kaysan, but that was one of the major battles. They were surrounded there for months and, uh, they were getting hit with hundreds and hundreds of rounds a day. He was up there for all of that, and that was that was as bad as anything that you've seen. I mean, it's mm -hmm. you know, uh, war. You know, whether it's Vietnam, second anything, war is war. War is hell, is like they say, and that's mm -hmm. the truth. People people get killed. They did all the time, and you know, some guys had a lot of lot worse than others over there. But it's still uh, uh, like you see in movies. It's still it's killing and getting killed, and you know, it's bad no matter how you look at it. Right. And did like before you guys went, were there people coming home telling stories? And oh yeah, yeah, we'd be on Seneca Street, and there was a uh, there was a, quite a few guys that were older than me. Jimmy Reedy, I think, was uh, one. He came back ahead of me, and uh, a few other guys too. And the same thing, guys came back, and I mean, they didn't sit around and tell stories about Vietnam like it was a baseball game because a lot of guys, you know, had a lot of tragic situations. Sure. You know, my mm -hmm. my. My best friend, who ended up being my brother-in-law, uh, his name was Pete Daniel. He he got shot right through the nose. He had a round that went right through his nose. And another guy, Timmy McGuire, he was a 
hung around Happers where we hung around. He got shot five times with a machine gun right up the side of his body, and he, and he lived. But, I mean, those uh, Willie Cotillis was another guy that got shot. Was A lot of guys that came back ahead of me were shot up, got injured, you know. And at that time, nobody really knew about PTSD, but a lot right. of guys had it back then, and, you know, nobody knew about it. You know, they were wondering why guys were drinking all the time and, you know, all that stuff, you know. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's the old saying, and it's almost the truth. When they say war is hell, it is. I don't care what war it was, second Korea, Vietnam, mm-hmm. you know, Afghanistan, Iraq today, you know, war is hell. Is there a common misconception that people have? Like, you're on the inside looking out, you know. Is there a common misconception that you think people had about the war, you know? Oh yeah, the back then. I mean, it was it was back in the '60s, and you know there was all the uh, what do you call them the hippies? Yeah, you know, well the hippies. And, <laughs> well, after I came out and I get back, I, my hair was pretty long. Some of the pictures you saw of me now too. But I mean, uh, yeah, back then when we were in there, they called us baby killers, and and we nobody was. I never saw any. Nobody was baby killers or anything else. But there was so much animosity at that time, is what I was trying to say mm-hmm. about the war. You know, so many were against it and everything else. And there was a lot of stories that came back about Vietnam veterans that were crazy and they were killing people and killing babies and everything else like that. And that wasn't true. We were 17, 18, 19 year old kids. We were trying to stay alive. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we thought we were doing the right thing, fighting for our country. You know, I mean, for sure. That's well put. We thank you for that. So you're in Vietnam. What are some of the things you're doing to pass the time during the day? I know that sounds like a crazy question, but you don't hear a lot about that. What are you doing in what do you the hooch? Like, yeah. What do you what are you doing to pass the time? Maybe even to get your your mind off things. Yeah. Well, there was that uh, much just letters. I mean, you yeah. know, you, you just everybody just. Uh, Waited for letters from home and everything else, you know. And, and over there, it was, uh, like I said, Danny Fitzgibbons, he was a grunt. He was up at case on there, humping the hills and everything else. But you had your downtime. But when we had our downtime, you know, we were, like I said, we were 18-year-old kids. We were talking about home. A year, a year and a half before, we were playing on the, the varsity baseball teams at our high schools. And all of a sudden, we're over in Vietnam, and people are trying to kill us. Yeah. You know? So we were downtime. We were just normal teenagers, you know, talking about our home life, our girlfriends, you know, uh, like Johnny Taylor. He was from Texas. He was telling, he'd tell me all about Texas. And most of the time we just, uh, you know, shoot the bull just to pass the time. And, and everybody had their short time calendar, you know, they'd be uh, 150 days in a wake up, they'd call it, you know, that, that was a, the term. Or if, if you had 49 days, they'd go 49 days in a wake up, you know, everybody, Everybody knew how many days that left they had in Vietnam. You know, there was a uh, one of the terms they used to use: fifty-nine days in a wake-up or a hundred days in a wake-up. You know, but but we were teenage kids that all of a sudden were in the middle of a war, and you know, and people were trying to kill us. You ever run into anyone that? Oh boy, I made a mistake over there. Uh, well, kind of losing it, like oh, I, I can't take this or anything like that. I never did. I I never did. I mean, you know, we, you know, like I said, we. Most of us in the Marine Corps anyway, most of us volunteered, you know, I mean, and even back then, which I did here, the Marine Corps had a quota. And again, a lot of Marines were getting killed in Vietnam and they had to have a quota. And I did hear of some guys that got drafted in the Marine Corps. They got drafted and then they went down to, in the army, they got drafted. Then all of a sudden a guy would say, we need uh, six guys for the Marine Corps. And of course, nobody'd step forward and they'd go down the line and they'd go, one, two, three, four, Marine, one, two, three, four, Marine, one, two, three, four, Marine. And those guys would end up, 
could end up being drafted and end up in the Marine Corps at Paris Island. Was everybody educated? Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, there wasn't, you know. Uh, and, and, of course, now my brother-in-law, he dropped out of school and he ended up in the Marine Corps and ended up got shot through the nose. And uh, But, I mean, yeah, pretty much everybody was, you know, it was pretty educated lot over there. I mean, everybody was, uh, and there was so many. I mean, there was, you know, hundreds of thousands, you know, every three, four months were getting drafted. So you had, you had every spectrum, you know. You're a opinionated guy, we'll say. <laughs> how I, how are you? What was your thinking towards our government when you were over there, or you did you didn't care? You're there to win the war, like you said. Pretty much there, yes. I I never pro- protested, or I never once I got over there and uh, you know, got into got into the the garbage and crap and everything else, and people getting killed and shot and everything else. But I never regretted it. I, I never uh, berated the government over this or that or anything else. I just uh, never got into the politics of it, I would say, you know. And uh, we, we were all, like they say, brothers in arms, you know, over there. And we were over there, you know, no matter whether you were white, black, or anything else. We were all over there to survive. We were young kids, but we wanted to come home too, you know. Well, we're glad you made it, and we thank you for your service. I mean, oh, thank I, you. I don't think enough people, younger people, do you see that a lot now? Like when you're walking and, you know, I've seen the plate and when you wear the gear and stuff, do people come up to you and say, hey, thanks for your ser- thanks for the service? Some do. I mean, more more than they used to, you know. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I, I mean I, I've got a hat that says I'm a Vietnam veteran and uh, and uh, quite often people will, they'll say, thank you for your service. You know, that that's, and that's come a long way. I mean, the country's healed, you know, they're, they're, yeah. at back that time, there was a lot of a lot of animosity, and there was a lot of hard feelings one way or another, you know. So I, I think just like the soldiers today in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, they're respected. You know, nobody's given them a hard time or anything else. But the country's changed from what it was during the 60s. And you talk about getting back. So now we've, you know, you've been to Vietnam, and now you're going to come back to Buffalo. Can you talk to us about what it was like, not so much adapting, but getting home and getting back into and how you were uh, received when you did get home. Uh, well, I, I'm from I was from Seneca Street, and Seneca Street, uh, which we always uh, we always used to kid around because Seneca Street, I mean, very few of my friends were not veterans, and we used to kid around because we, uh, we we we'd say that uh, Abbott Roaders were the Penny shoes, penny loafers, or the something. The squeaks, the squeaks, what they call them. And there was very few veterans from Abbott Road and Seneca Street. There was, if you weren't a veteran, it was highly unusual. I mean, I hung around the South Side and Hoppers and the Park Side, and just about everybody that I hung around with was a veteran. And uh, most of them went to Vietnam, but some didn't go to Vietnam. But uh, on Seneca Street, it was. Uh, it was a lot different than Abbott Road. We just go. We just went over there just to beat people up, and then we come back. <laughs> we come back to our side of the creek after that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So you're not really running back, coming back to, uh, you know, somebody pointing in your finger, calling you whatever they would call you at the time. Uh, you're really not seeing much of that, huh? No, we didn't. It's the only place I. Uh, I, I experienced it was uh, when I was coming back. Uh, I was coming through the airport in California. We, you know, we came the West Coast. You went from there, and then you and 
we were in uniform. And back then, a lot of guys didn't wear their uniforms because especially on the West Coast, there was a lot of, if you want to call them hippies or whatever else, and there was be protesters at the airport, you know, and like I said, a famous term back then was baby killers. They call us baby killers. And I remember coming through the airport in California and uh, I was just walking through the airport and I, I saw this fight going on and I saw two Marines and an army guy beating the shit out of about eight hippies. They started harassing these uh, military guys in uniform and they just started getting into it and they beat the crap out of them. But back then in uh, the West Coast, there was a lot. But when I get back to Buffalo, there was nothing. But I walked through the Buffalo airport when I got back in 1969, and now one person acknowledged me until I got to my parents and uh, they were meeting me. But I walked through the airport, my uniform on, everything, and now one person said, welcome home or thank you, this or that. So I, time, things have changed quite a bit. Today, you don't see that. you know. But back then in the 60s, you know, it was just a different time in our, in our history and uh, so what are you, when you come back, I'm very unfamiliar with this. Are you getting uh, paid from the government for, for being a soldier? How does that work? Or are you, what are you doing for work when you get back to Buffalo? In the military still, you mean? or So you're out of the military. Oh, okay. And you come home. Are Do the payments stop? Do they have programs to get you on your feet? How, do, how does that work? Or do you just go find a job? You just go find a job. Yeah, you you were done when you got done. Then you were you were done, and you're on your own, and you know, and the you know, what's Phil Ryan doing then? What's what's the first job you got when you come back? We'll go down memory lane here. Oh, geez, I I I was I used to work at Acme Super the supermarkets. I was a, I worked at Acme for years, and and that was the same thing. And when you came back, I mean, it was funny. You know, you were in Vietnam. We were in the Marine Corps. We were there for 12 months and 20 days. The Army was only there for 12, and I don't know why they ever did that, but Marines are always there for 20 more days. But you went from literally one week you're over there, it's 120 degrees, it smells out, people are getting killed, rackets and mortars are coming in, they're shooting itch and everything else. And, and a week later you're home in the streets of Seneca Street and you're all of a sudden you're supposed to be normal again, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's quite an adjustment, and that was – and I, for us as young kids, 17 years old, then we come home, we're 19, and we've seen all this killing and death. And all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, we're supposed to be. Luckily, we had uh, McNasty uh, on Seneca Street patrolling the streets, so none of us ever got a DWI because he took care of us. My buddy Mike McPartland, he, was, he even told me one time, he says, would you, would you nitwits stay on the right-hand side of the road? He says, you're coming across the street almost hitting me at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I gotta get on that email list. Are you on that email list? Uh, for the the oh, McNasty email yes, list. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> I heard it's quite entertaining. Yes, it is. <laughs> did Did you guys have guys like wanting to go back? Like, is there anybody that? Not, none of my friends ever. When I, I mean, a lot of guys did uh, here and there, but I mean, I I don't know anybody from Seneca Street. Like I say, and just about every one of my friends outside of the only two that I did didn't go in the service back then, and they both had. Uh, uh, medical problems where they couldn't be, but uh, I, I don't think any of my friends ever went back for a second tour or anything else. So once you were over there and you went through a year of that, you know, you you were you were counting your days to get home and 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 get back. And they gave you 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 knew when you were leaving Vietnam. Like, oh yeah, I was. Like I said, I I sometimes I forget my wife's middle name, but I remember the day my first day in Vietnam was April first because I thought I was the biggest fool in the world. And, <laughs> 
and in the Marine Corps, you were there 12 and 20. So my, you know, the day I got over there, April 1st, uh, 68, I knew that April 20th of 69, I was going to be out of there. And they were right in the money. I mean, if you were supposed to be out of there the 20th, you didn't stay till the 28th. They got you out. You had your year, your year and your 20. They got you right out and got you out of there. They say you remember two days, your first and your last day. Yeah, <laughs> that's the truth, too. But everybody, they call them short-timers lists. Everybody had a short-timers list, and they had their either a calendar or this or that. And they, you know, the, the, the other famous term they used to say was uh, if you had 29 days left, they'd, they, uh, the term was 29 days and a wake-up. You know, this dream will be over in 29 days. I'll wake up and I'm going back to the world. They used to, that, that was a term they used to say is uh, 29 days and I wake up and then I'm going back to the world. Oh, was the wildlife insane? Like, was there snakes? And I mean, I, I just can't even picture it. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, it's just, uh, it's hard to say, but you know, yeah, any, you know, any of those countries, you know, like I said, they had donkeys and carrots and stuff. I mean, there was no, they had little, uh, three-wheel things but there was no cars or any stuff like there is here and everything else and oh yeah there was snakes and the mosquitoes were just unbelievable you know they gave you all kinds of stuff but yeah it's like being and living in any tropical area you know it was the same way back then I mean, it was never under 100 degrees you know oh, you know Jesus. 100 120 degrees then carrying all the sh- crap that you carried around and everything else it was uh nobody ever came back from vietnam heavier than when they went over put it that way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we don't get right into being a fireman. What are a couple of the things you're doing on before you're a fireman? Well, there was uh, I was working at Eastman Machine, and uh, I lived over here off of McKinley Parkway. And my neighbor says, "Oh, he worked at uh, a machine shop." And he said, "Phil, uh, you know any guys that need a job?" And I gave him some names: Dennis Radchuk, another South Buffalo guy, and. A bunch of us, and then I finally says, "Geez, I can use it." I went, I went to work there too, and I worked there one day, and I said, "I'm not going to work in a machine shop for the rest of my life." And then I started taking every civil service test there was: police, fire, state police, and finally I uh, hit it with a fire department and got on the fire department. At that time, are you getting points like these guys do today because of your military? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh we got, okay. We got uh, five five points on the test, or else you'd. Uh, if you didn't use them, you got them for promotional. But but back then, most of the veterans, you know, they did well. They were all like all of us from Seneca Street. Everybody was in civil service or uh, mainly jobs like that. You know, that came back. And going into the you know the firefighter uh, academy has got to be a piece of cake coming from uh, <laughs> yeah. Paris Island, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the academy wasn't too hard after, yeah. after that. Yes, <laughs> and we were, and we were all. And the, when we went in the fire department, there was four of us from Seneca Street, and all of us were veterans. Uh, Al Ficucci was one. He was uh, he's a South Park guy, and uh, when we went in there, we, we were we were just we were thrilled to get the job. We we really were. We and all fifteen guys who were in our class ended up being uh, uh, good firemen. Worked uh, east side, west side most of their careers, and we we were just we were thankful to get the job. Yeah, I think that's how. I mean. I think about our academy now, and I'm, I'm like, we we had a tough time, you know. But like for you guys, it had to be like we did this, yeah. done that. Well, like I say, I, I, 15 of us went, and 13 of us were uh, were veterans, you know, uh, Army, Marine Corps, and uh, 
And it was, it was still challenging for us too. Certain things. I mean, some guys, you know, the heights. You know, they're a little bit yeah. leery of and stuff. And it's still, it's not a, not a piece of cake. You know, completely. But and even back then, the academy was a little harder than it is today. I mean, I think they've geared the academy back a little bit. You know, and have more women and more uh, different things like that going on. And it seems like it's not as physical as it was, you know, forty years ago. But uh, you know, I feel like they're hiring a lot more, you know, our, our, my Academy was, I think 54 of us, you know, like that's, that just seemed like a lot, you know? Yeah. That was, well, in our class, there was 15 in our class. It was, it was the first, and it was right. It was, uh, what was it? 1978. And there was only 15 in our class. And back then, most of the classes might've been 30, but in ours, it was 15 and 12 of us are all veterans. No hiding in the back of the line when you only got no, 15. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the we're in the fire. You graduate. What's what's your plan going in? You 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 don't have a plan. You just want to be a Buffalo firefighter and right. do your job, right? Yep. Do you think a lot of people get into the, the job now and they have aspirations? So oh, I'm going to be an officer in four years. I'm going to do this. Has that changed a little bit? You think? Uh, I, I just don't think so. I mean, I don't know. Recently, I know the last four or five years, they've made so many officers, but so many guys, you know, have retired. But, uh, when we, when we went on the fire department, I mean, we were, Freddie Langdon was our fire commissioner, another South Buffalo guy. And, uh, they opened up the, the rescues and we went right from the academy, uh, rescue two opened up on my birthday, September 9th. And we graduated from the academy the first of September and they put, Rescue two. They uh, we went in the academy, Freddie Lane. They started the rescue. We we all went in the rescue, and we we loved it. You know, we typically again young guys loving the job. We love the action and you know all this stuff. And and the bid sheet came out, and we had literally three months on the job, and nobody bid the rescue. We got the rescue with three months on the job because everybody thought they were going to be going to 10 fires a night. They were going to be up all night. And uh, and we were on rescue two on the third platoon, and uh, there was seven of us that were rookies. And when the bid sheet came out, we had three months on the job, and we got the rescue with three months on because every, wow. no, nobody wanted to bid it because they thought they'd be you know going, now I guess you need 10 years to get on the rescue to get on it. <laughs> Tell us uh, a little the differences. Uh, we have rescues. We have what else do we have? We have the pumpers, trucks. Tell tell us what a rescue guy does. Uh, well, back then, uh, at that time, it was like a bread truck. They didn't even have the big rescues like they have today. It was just the back of a truck with two doors that closed in the back. And we were all rookies, like I said. And we had this lieutenant, and his name was Danny Wild. And when we went to fires, the guys used to make fun of us, the veterans, because we were the first group in 78. We we got out of the back of this bread truck, like there was a fire truck, and we'd get out and we'd have our masks on and we'd run into the fire. And most of the time we always ended up at the line because guys didn't wear uh, the mask much back then. And we'd come in with a thing and they'd give us a line because they didn't have masks. They'd have to go back to the truck. And they used to uh, kid our lieutenant, Donnie Wild, uh, he said, yeah, he says, he, they go, Danny, 
Lieutenant Wilde, you come to the fire and you let them animals out of the back of the truck, and then after the fire, you whistle and you, they all come running back to you and you load them in the truck and get out of here on them because we, were, we weren't hot shots, but we, were, we had masks on. These guys didn't, you know, and they were, always, they were always kidding us. And plus, we were rookies. So rookies, I don't care if you're in the service, military, anyway, you're going to get your balls busted, you know, and we did. Yeah, I've, I know a lot of firemen. I've been around them for years, and, you know, Marky's a firefighter. Um, talk about the camaraderie. It's almost like a hockey locker room, the firehouse. Talk about the camaraderie of you got to have thick skin as a fireman. I oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's uh, and that was two of the houses that I was at where you really needed a thick skin. Was one was thirty two and five over on Seneca Street, and that was mostly all uh, South Buffalo guys. And the other one was on the west side. We had, at that time, they called it the big house. We had Rescue 2 there. We had Ladder 4 and Engine 37. It was the only triple house in the city. And to this day, they still refer to that uh, house over there in Rhode Island, Shenango, as the big house. And, and it was because, I mean, you know, again, not, not to go back to that, but it's not like military, but again, you're in dangerous situations. Sure. You're depending. You're depending on the guys that were in with you. You knew you could depend on them, and uh, so, so you had that that tightness that you know you don't have in a lot of other jobs because a lot of other jobs, your lives don't end up on the line sometimes, or where guys get killed in the line of duty, and it is that dangerous job. But most firemen, they're easygoing, they're ball busters, you know, and they never think of the 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 reality of the job and how dangerous it really is, you know. How about you, Mark? You been hazed at all or what? I, I mean, I, I got thick skin. You know? Yeah. It's just a simple turn about it. Yeah. Uh, Some of these guys so soft, I hear. I, I heard a story. I'm not going to. Uh, they, they started a rumor that this guy had this really big dick. <laughs> So now wherever this poor guy It wasn't goes. me. It wasn't me. I, I wish we weren't talking about me, but not me. So everywhere this poor guy goes, it's like spreading the non-firemen. And this poor guy, he'll be out the there and be like, hey, how's it hanging? You know? <laughs> and I mean, I've run into a lot of guys like that. You know, I've, I've hung around with firemen. And it's so funny that it is kind of like a sports team. Yeah. Like yeah, the, yeah. Like the house is sacred, like the locker room almost. Yep. Is that accurate? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's almost like a club. You mm-hmm. know, it really is. You know, there was, uh, there was like another story when I, uh, I was on the rescue for fourteen years, and I didn't care if I ever, and I just loved the the fires and going to them, and so I was on rescue too for fourteen years, and then finally I made lieutenant, and I ended up going to uh, thirty two and five, and Patty Lewis was over there, and. Uh, Danny Vivian and uh, all these famous names from South Buffalo. <laughs> and they said, Phil, there's an opening on the ladder. Bid the lieutenant spot on the on the truck. So I, so I bid uh, truck five. So my first day in there, I go in. I thought, well, I'll go in a little bit early. You know, we, we start at five. Guys get there about four. And I thought, well, I'll go in about 3.30. It's my first day there. I know a lot of the guys there. Were, I did, didn't know all the guys that were on my crew that I was working with. So I get in there at 3.30, and I'm sitting there, and it's – Four o'clock and nobody and four fifteen. Now the guys from Days are leaving, and it's four thirty and there's two guys left from Days and there's nobody from my crew on the truck there. And I go to the the one of the two guys are sitting there and I says, "What the hell time do these guys come in? They come in at five o'clock." 
They go, Phil, they've been here since 3.30. They're back in the mole room. <laughs> so they were in there at 3.30. I'm waiting for over an hour and a half, and they're back in the mole room. And that's when I got uh, baptized at 32 and 5, the lifestyle of the firefighters on, <laughs> on Seneca Street over there. Mike Frawley, Billy Schrader, uh, a few other guys are some of the names, but... Uh, but good times too. That was a, that was a fun house, fun house to be at. Boy, how things have changed. Yes, yes. Oh, without a doubt, big time. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I think that that's what they do is they pound accountability into you. Even when you're making like a small mistake, they get on you, and you don't make that mistake anymore. You right. know, it's like it's important. I get guys that you know they want to show you. They're like, maybe I'm not the best teacher, but I can tell you all the things I've done wrong. And that's almost sometimes more valuable. Yeah. And the same thing in the, in the fire service. It's, uh, again, it's not like the military, but people die. I mean, people, you know, the, I mean, over the years, all the firemen that we've, I was working the night of the propane explosion. Uh, and three of those guys, South Buffalo guys, that was, I mean, people do die in the fire service. That's why you have to have the accountability and you have to have people that are responsible. And, you know, we always said, you know, what happens Behind closed doors of the firehouse is one thing, but we always said when the three beeps came in and the alarm of fire came over, everything was on the straight and narrow. You know, there was no screwing around then because people do get injured and get killed on the job. So you have to have that accountability and that responsibility. Talk yeah. about uh, becoming an officer. Is that something you aspired to be, or did it just kind of like, well, I'll take the test, see how she flies? Uh, no, I. What, what it was was uh, I... I I think at that time I had five kids and we were making about fifteen thousand a year and I was working two jobs on the side and I just wanted the money. <laughs> sure, you know, I wanted the, and and at that time the uh, the difference between a fireman and a lieutenant was over two thousand dollars. Now it's five or six or seven, but at that time two thousand dollars, you know, that was quite a bit of money. And I the only uh, reason I really cared about it was just the pay wise, the increase in it. You yeah, know, take care of the family. Yeah, because sure. I was one of the most uh, undisciplined uh, <laughs> officers in the Buffalo Fire Department. I got a, I got a, I got a few stories along that, those lines, too. I had Dennis Gooch, Dave Lemo, Mark Jarzak, uh, Greg Helbina. These guys were great firemen. I mean, they they knew the, the jaws of life, the, all this stuff like that. They knew everything, and uh, we were well-respected by the chiefs and everything else, And even though they knew we were a little goofy, but they knew that you know if we pulled up, things were going to get done. I've I've heard some stories. We do I do a little research and I call people. The one thing I've heard from probably eight or nine firemen that I've talked to in the past forty eight hours is that you get a lot of guys stopping the rig when they see you and giving their respect to you because that's how much you meant to the fire department. Do you notice that that guys really go out of their way to say hello and thank you, ask you how you're doing after you retired and stuff like that? Oh yeah, it's just, I mean I don't know if you notice my jacket on here. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like a like a stop sign only it says fire department and stuff. And my uh, my son Mike Conley, my my stepson, he got this for me and uh, he was so happy. My wife told me that when he got this and he gave it to me and and I love it and and whenever I wear this jacket and if it's you know it says Buffalo Fire Department Rescue One on it. And every time I wear it, I, I was in Wegmans last week and I was putting groceries in the car and a guy said to me, he says, hey, my father was a Buffalo fireman. And then the story goes on and did you know this guy, did you know that guy and everything? Oh yeah, all the time. I always get people, especially when I have the jacket on. I mean, oh, people yeah. that aren't even firemen, but they have relatives or friends and they, they're always coming up and asking me this or that. And uh, they're very nice, very congenial and, and mostly all the time. It's just like being in the service almost. They say, thanks a lot. You guys do a lot for the citizens. We talk about the 
the commissioners that you've served under. And the, the name that kept popping up is uh, Michael Bardo, mm-hmm. who is, uh, some have said, one of the most educated firefighters and best firefighters in the nation. What do you think of Mike? And that, do you still keep in contact with Mike? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I still keep in contact. Uh, well, and, and Mike was a ladder 11 guy, and they thought they were the best firemen, the best <laughs> in the whole world and everything else. And they used to, they'd almost race us to the fires when I was on Rescue One. And and Mike was a, a great guy. He was, a, and he was, and he was a great fireman. You know, he uh, all of the above. We on the rescue, we used to try to get out of training. And Ladder Eleven, they'd be doing all kinds of training. You know, what I mean, and, and we, and like I said, we we loved the job. And I had all great guys that worked with me. But we, believe it or not, we had one of the biggest card games going on Broadway and Monroe. <laughs> we had a card game. We had fire trucks guys that come in from other places to play cards with us during the day we but i mean whenever uh george coates was our division chief and i i didn't notice but but other guys told me whenever we went to a fire back then when i was on rescue one with uh gooch and all of those guys just outside of the chief he'd check with the chief but after that just about all the time he'd go uh this is uh b44 uh Rescue, Phil, where are you guys? What do you got? I mean, he was always asking us, where are we and what do we got? Because he, he he knew that we were good firefighters and we were on the rescue. We went to a lot of fires. But he, he, he almost always asked where we were and, and what we had. Mike Lombardo was a fireman. Right. He earned that. Yes. Am I on the right track with oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How come we don't see that? Well, those, those appointments are political appointments. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they... Uh, I mean, a couple times uh, the fire department they hired guys from not they weren't didn't know firemen they weren't from the city of Buffalo I forgot who they were but they did but like Michael Michael Lombardo and Freddie Lang two guys great right. great firemen and probably two of the uh, best respected commissioners over the last thirty years I mean both Michael Lombardo or Freddie Lang and if there's any fire function going on or anything else they're always right at the front table or they're welcomed uh those are two commissioners over the years that are probably the most respected guys but they did the job they had accountability not only that they were good firemen so they they knew what to look for but they knew what to overlook too they knew they had good firemen they they treated them right and everything worked out under those two commissioners things ran smooth there was no problems ever that i know of because they stuck to the meat and potatoes of the job more or less yes that's a that's a good way of putting it yeah i i would like to see more commissioners with the fire and the police uh be like that yeah Uh, uh, kind of like a blue collar commissioner yes yes that's a good way of putting it what are some of the changes that you notice uh from the outside looking in now well the biggest change uh that uh other firemen that I've talked to too is the department now. It's so young. Now, how how can we fix that as a city or a department? Could you assign guys that are retired to come and help out the academy, or how how, how do we get past that with a young department? Well, the only the only way that uh, that we you resolve that is through experience, and and what they seem to be doing is they are training a lot. You know, they're. Uh, have a lot of they've got a lot more training today than I think we did 30 years ago I mean they are trying to do it but again you can train all you want you can you can drag hoses and you can go up to a house that's not on fire and you can do what you're supposed to do drag the line show the guys what they're supposed to do but at two o'clock in the morning when you're on the east side and uh 
fire's rolling out of the attic and uh, the window's on the side and you go in and it's so hot you can feel the heat through your turnout gear, things change all of a sudden, yeah. you know, when, you know, the shit's hitting the fan and all of a sudden you're there with another guy on the line and there's no a truck companies on their way, but they're not there. You know, there's nothing, nothing like experience and you got to get it, you know, by doing the job. You know? Yeah, so there's no simulating a not, huge fire. Not at all. Not at yeah. all. Even small fires until you've been there, done that, did it. You know, that's the only way you're going to get that experience and, uh, you know, to down the road. There, there's nobody that's, you know, overlooking that. Oh, no. It. You know, it, it is a ton of training. And oh, yeah. I think that, you know, in my academy, I thought we had the best instructors, you know, guys that were captains became chiefs, lieutenants became captains. Like, these guys were just in it and so knowledgeable. And now you get out and they just want to keep it going. You know, yeah. they want to keep you, you know, sharp and they'll come up with Tia and ask you questions. And you're like, whoa, I haven't thought about that since the academy, you know? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I see it a lot on the streets. I see the fire trucks out all the time where guys are training and everything else. And, and they really have to be just because of the youth and inexperience on the fire department. That's the only only way they can simulate that and uh, get better at it. And I was trying to get it. a hold of Marky yesterday, and he was, he was training all day. <laughs> well, he was. Yeah. He working hard. Do it. I like hearing it. Yeah. What do you think of the 24-hour shift? Uh, I would have loved it myself and more firemen. You know, I talk to a lot of firemen that I see here and there, and I haven't heard anybody say that they dislike it so far, you know. Yeah, I've heard a few guys say that it's it's long, though. They said, you know, after you know, if you start at 8 in the morning, they said, you know, by 8 at night or 9 at night, you got 12 hours in and you still got another 10 hours to go. They <laughs> said that that's, getting a, that's the only thing they said. It takes a little bit used to being on the job for 24 hours in a row, That's a which it is a long time. That's, you know. Yeah, so being retired, Phil, obviously you miss it. I talked to a lot of firemen, and you've gotten into officiating. You've been an official for a while, so you have something to do. But with these apps and stuff, you ever throw the scanner on or anything? No, I was never a scanner guy. <laughs> no. I, I never even had a scanner. I, I, I was never I was never one of them. I, I didn't hang around a firehouse before I became a fireman, but uh, no, I... It's like anybody else. I mean, I was 62 when I retired, and you, you sort of know. I mean, it's it's you don't want to say it's a young man's job, but I mean, when you have to go out, you know, the guys you're working with plus the citizens that are paying taxes, you know, they expect somebody that's young and strong, or not young, but strong and in good shape. And for your own well-being, you have to be too because it's a physical job. When, when the fires come in at 2 o'clock in the morning, whenever it is, it's physical and you have to be able to do it. But I miss it. I miss the guys. I miss all the fun. I miss everything about it, you know. But I knew my time was up. I knew it was sure. time to time to move on and let uh, some younger guys take over and have some fun. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you the truth, I always wanted to be a cop. I took three, <laughs> three four state police tests, and I took the buff. When I got on the Buffalo Fire Department, I was number nine, and I was on the fire department. I was going through training, and I just got out of the training, and then the Buffalo Police called me. I think I was fifty on that exam. And if and I almost went because I always wanted to be a cop. I was a I was a diehard cop, you know. And I just uh, never and I and I'm glad I stayed in the fire department. I had a great career, a lot of fun, made uh, all kinds of friends and everything else. And uh, but uh, and and the talk about the the West Side over there. We had a famous chief, Jimmy Kelly. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Oh yeah, his son. His son was his son's on the. Well, I was on the fire department. I think he's still on. Yeah, he's a lieutenant. He's a lieutenant. But anyway, I got a lot of Jimmy Kelly stories, but this is a classic one, and it's a, about a, a guy that is in the story that ended up being B44 on the west side. But 
uh, Jimmy Kelly was a chief one night, and uh, this guy comes in, and his name was Roberts, Jeff Roberts. And he goes, uh, Chief, he says, do you mind if I get out a little bit early? I, I, I got to uh, gotta go to, I know, Rochester. He's got to go somewhere. And uh, mind if I get out a little bit early? And uh, Kelly goes, well, what time you got to get out, Jeff? And he said, about 7 o'clock. And he said, 7 o'clock? He says, hell no, just go. Don't worry about it. 7 o'clock, just leave. Don't even worry about it. We'll take care of it. If we run short or somebody might be in, we'll be all set. So Kelly goes out, uh, he says, okay, and Jeff's, okay, chief, thanks a lot. So Kelly comes out for dinner that night, and he looks around, he's talking to guys, and all of a sudden he said, hey, where's Jeff at? I says, uh, where's Jeff Roberts? And they said, they looked at the chief, and they said, chief, you said he could leave early. And Kelly said, it's 7 o'clock at night. And he <laughs> says, well, you said he could leave at 7. Kelly says, well, he got me on that one. He says, <laughs> he thought he was want to get out at 7 in the morning, and he left at 7 o'clock at night. So I always tell the story when Jeff Roberts ended up being B44, so I tell guys that story. So I says, don't ever take any shit from Jeff. I says, he pulled, he had his day. But, yeah, he left 12 hours early. And now he's a chief. Now he's a chief, yes, and he was B44. I don't know if he still is, but he ended up taking And Jeff is, too, he's he's... He falls right into the mold of most of the B-44 chiefs. They're all good chiefs over there. We had all good chiefs over there on the west side. He's a hell, he's a hell of a hockey coach, Jeff Roberts, too. Yes, yes. Yeah. So we talk about, you know, the, the fire watchers and everything, and there's something that came up in uh, the research, of, and you confirmed it, a fire cat. Tell us what a fire cat is. House cat. No. Uh, house cat. Oh, a house cat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, had, we had a few, I, and I don't recall their names or stuff like that, but we had a couple, and mainly they're older guys. You know, they used to come in and just sit around the firehouse, and uh, and which a lot of them too. Back then, I, I don't recall, but there was some. But, but, you know, if you went out, they'd close the doors. You know, they lock things up for you. And they would just sit around and have coffee and just listen to the conversations and and uh, good guys, harmless guys, you know, they just, you know, for whatever reason, they had the fascination with uh, with firefighters, just like some guys have fascination with strippers. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they had a fascination. They hung around the firehouse, and guys let them. They, you know, they knew they were harmless, nice guys, and, you know, there, there was quite a few houses that had them, you know. Yeah, they, I, I see some on a, the one guy on Abbey Road. He's a really nice guy. And, uh, we got big Billy Scahal now. Yeah, you got yeah, Big Bill. Fuck you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's another thing that came up. Uh, a story I was asked to ask you was uh, training at the airport. Like I said, when I was that's when I was a lieutenant on the rescue rescue one over at uh, Broadway and Monroe, and we had the house was famous for card games. We had card games going every day. The, even the the chief, after a while, he used to come in and he'd say, he'd, he'd say Phil, you got the payroll? i say, it's in the freezer, chief. We used to keep it in the freezer. And then after a while, he wouldn't even, we'd be playing cards and he'd go, Phil, you got a minute? And i go, Dave, you're going to better not. It's five to you. We, <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't, he sort of ignored our card games. And after a while, I sort of, they said I broke him in. I don't know if that's good or not, but uh, we were supposed to go out to the training bureau one day where you're, uh, I forgot who was the chief. I think it might have been George Coates. And we were supposed to go out to the training bureau on our second day in on a Tuesday for training. And we had a card game going on that day. And uh, the guys told me, Phil, don't we have to go training today? I says, oh, yeah, shit, we got to go. And I said to anybody, I says, who wants to go training? 
Anybody? So anybody wants to go training, raise their hand. Nobody raised their hand. So we didn't go. So we just, <laughs> we didn't go to training. And they had training anyway. And uh, later that night, George Coates called me up and he goes, Phil, he says, where the hell were you today? And I said, what do you mean, chief? He said, uh, we had training today. You guys are supposed to be out at the airport for the airport training. I said, chief, we took a vote and the guys voted me down. <laughs> I said, so we didn't go. He says, Phil, he says, you're killing me. He says, you cannot not show up for training. He says, all the other companies go. You guys aren't special. Now you gotta, and he chewed my ass out a little bit, gave me a chewing. But the guys are happy. We had a nice card game. We didn't go to training, and we got out of it. And all, we, all I got was an ass chewing, and nothing happened to the guys. So that was, But that's how we were. I mean, we were yeah. good firemen, trust me. We were. All the chiefs always depended on us. But we played a lot of cards. Ladder 11, that's when Mike Lombardo was there. Uh, this is Lander 11. We'll be out training for the next three hours. And we're, we're Rescue One. We're sitting over there. We're playing cards. Well, Ladder 11's out training, you know. But that's. <laughs> but we had good guys, all veteran firemen. And, and we shouldn't have done what we did, but we did. And it's it's history now, and we all made it out and retired. So. Well, they always say the class clowns work the hardest. Yes. <laughs> well, we were, too. So now you're in the fire department for a while, and... I was always a Buffalo news guy. As a young age, I would wa- I would read the newspaper religiously. It was I'm kind of an old soul. People would make fun of me. Like, <laughs> look at this kid. He's like an old man reading a paper. <laughs> and I would always see Phil Ryan in the editorial. And uh, you're still doing it today. You, yeah. you just had a big article in the paper Monday. Uh, talk to us how, how does that start with you starting to send your letters into the editor? Well, I, my my sisters tell me that uh, it was uh, heredity because my mother, after she retired, she was a, a nurse. She worked at Mercy and uh, some of the homes stuff around here. After she retired, she started. She was writing in like I do now. She used to write into the penny savers and all these things. And my sisters kid me. They said, uh, uh, they said. Uh, Phil, you're just like Irene. She says, writing into the newspapers all the time. And I'm just retired now. And I, I, I you know, I, when I see stuff in the, like I, there was just something in there, uh, uh, the Trumpster, President Trump went after John McCain after he was dead and he had a thing. And that's myself being a veteran. And I was always thought that John McCain, I thought a lot about, you know, sometimes I, I just start writing off the cuff, something hits me in the wrong way or I think of something, and I wrote an article about that, and that was printed too. But it, it's just something I... Uh, that was a good article too, by oh, the way. Oh, you see, yeah, see yeah. that one? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I don't... A lot of them, I just, I'll, I'll be sitting there and something will come up, I'll think of something, and boom, 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 I just rattle something off and it goes in, and and they're, they're good to me at the news. They know me by first name now. They, uh, <laughs> whatever they, the girls, uh, Dawn and the other one, they call because when you write an editorial, they have to verify it over the phone. When you do a My View section, which I had that in this past week too, they just do it online. They don't have to. But most of the girls up at the, uh, up there know me by name. And there's some other guys, uh, uh, I don't know if you know, the Farrells from South Buffalo. Oh, yeah. Mike. Denny. Denny Farrell, he's in the he was just in the paper the other day. He's he's in there quite a bit. You see a lot of the same names, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm partial to fire department articles like the one I just wrote about the fire department and uh, and the military stuff is what I, I write about most of the time. Write what you know. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what my wife says. How could you how'd you write that? Because the one I wrote recently about in the my view section was about dogs and stuff. 
But it was just how our, that's how our life was, you know. I mean, when stuff's truthful or you know about it, it just sort of rolls off, you know, and it right. just, uh, it's easy to write about stuff like that. You yeah, know? and that came out like Easter. I, I read it and it was, you know, it's just not everything has to be controversial. It was a nice right, article. Right, yeah, it came you know? out just before Easter, yeah. yeah was... and, and I had quite a few people that, uh, a couple of firemen too, uh, and a couple other guys from Seneca Street, the one guy said, Phil, he said, I loved your article on the dogs. And he says, we were just going out the day before to pick up our two new dogs. So he said it really hit home with me. You know, it was, and then Danny Vivian, of course, you know, V, don't you? Uncle Dan the Clam? The V man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. He emailed me and he said, uh, after the article I wrote about the dogs, and uh, he, because uh, I told him I had an article coming out, one in the fire department, and I didn't tell him about that one. And he emailed me back and he says, Phil, he says, I don't know where the hell that article ever came from. I never saw that coming from you. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was expecting an article on the fire department, which came out Monday. So talk talk to us about a little about the article that came out on Monday. Uh, it's It's been all over uh, social media and stuff. A lot of firemen have chimed in and seemed like agree with you. Talk a little about what you what was in the article on Monday. Well, it was about uh, how they closing firehouses and uh, how that came about was it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Engine 37, which, uh, well, Engine 37, they had some fires on the west side and Engine 37 was first in. And for people that don't know, the first in company, that's the closest engine usually to the fire scene. And Engine 37 was closed that night and they should have been first in. So uh, for the the first end pumper took longer to get there because 37 was closed, and which could happen very easily. The next pumper is probably another mile away. They could have been out at something, too. Now, you take two pumpers out, and with all the closings they've had over the last 20 years, you, you might as well be living in Cheektowaga. You could be waiting five minutes for your first pumper to come in, and in a house fire, five minutes, a lot of damage can be done. Oh, yeah. And which I said in the article, they're saving $30 million on this contract. They got a lot of concessions from us. And not only that, these citizens are paying, you're paying pretty good taxes in the city of Buffalo. It's not like Orchard Park. But when you're paying taxes and your firehouse at your corner is closed just because they want to save $1,000 that night, that's not right for these people that are paying taxes. No, and I think a lot of people that didn't know about this, it's kind of opening their eyes going, wait a minute, what? Yeah, they... they because like I said in the article, I said, you go by your local firehouse, you might see the lights on and the rig in there, but there's no firemen in there. And they don't come out and say, tell the residents on the west side, oh, tonight, by the way, the firehouse at the corner of Lion Shenango is going to be closed. No, they just close them at random. They don't tell anybody and nobody knows anything. And is it worth $1,000 if uh, two civilians get killed in a fire or if a fireman gets killed because uh, the, the, the next in truck was uh, late getting there to open the roof? It's not worth 1000 or $2,000. I mean, money and lives should not be equal here. You no. Know? I mean, lives should uh, be the sole... Uh, sole thing that we're thinking about here not not whether the city saved a thousand dollars i just can't wrap my uh my head around this yeah it, it and that's what i said too i i in the article i mentioned too billy ronaldo he's he was a good fireman a real good fireman he was a chief he worked the west side sure i think he was even b44 but i know he worked at uh uh on the west side at uh truck nine but uh, i don't think it's right it's not good for the safety of the firemen that are out there and it's not good for the citizens who are paying taxes. That's something Lamardo probably would have done. I, rem yeah, oh, I remember him fighting back and forth. I can't remember who the mayor was at the time. Probably Mass it was yeah. Brown. Well, was it Brown? Yeah, it was Brown, yeah. And because Mike, he would have, that's how he would have been. 
you know, and when you're, when you're the commissioner to a certain extent, you, you do have to do th some things, but you're still an individual, you're a fireman, and you can say, no, I, I don't think that's right, Mayor, we shouldn't do that, that's not safe, I don't think we should do that, I don't think it's right for the citizens. He should say what I just said, yeah. the same thing, and say, no, I'm not closing that firehouse. We, that firehouse, and especially the one on the west side. At one time, that was one of the one of the busiest firehouses in the city, between squad calls and fires. You know, it isn't like causing uh, engine engine four over here, which on the Hollywood Palace, and they don't close that because it's the last one. And then Lackawanna is not going to help you. Right. And then if twenty five's out, then you got nobody until somebody's coming from almost the east side. So that's why they don't close them. But it's not right. What are they saving this money for? said but i don't know but my point was they even said we're saving 30 million dollars i mean the fire department in this last contract i think it's an eight-year contract if i'm not mistaken which was nice before they were two and four years right but the city eight it was an eight-year contract but they stated themselves that they were saving 30 million dollars in the contract with the closings of the houses they did we got a raise and they're still saving money so that's that was my point in the article if you're saving 30 million over eight years why are you trying to save $1,000 here and there to close the house for 24 hours or even eight hours? It doesn't make any sense to me. Sounds like the price of podiums are going up. Yes, without a <laughs> doubt. <laughs> do, do you ever get a, a call when one of your articles goes in about the fire department from a guy that you, you were close with that you thought was a, 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 one, of the, one of the boys and say, hey, Phil, you shouldn't have said that. Or you ever get an article or arguments at a gin mill or something with somebody over them? No, no, not too much. Most of them, uh, uh, like I said, the only one is, like I said, the mayor used to call me Phil and talk to me and everything else, but now he doesn't even give me the time of day when I see him. So, <laughs> but and no, I, I've never really gotten too much flack from anybody about uh, about any of the articles I write, and and most of them I don't. I don't try to hurt anybody's feelings or anything else. It's just an opinion. You know? Yeah. And that's all it is. It's it's just my opinion, which isn't always the right opinion, but, you know. Yeah, when you're on the top, somebody's going to take a shot at you. Exactly, yes. Whether you're a commissioner or anybody else, stuff like that, you know. And and that was that was the thing, too, that I, I, got, I got a nice call after that, you know. And like you say, some people don't like it. Most of the people do that I talk to, at least they tell me they do. And even the, the president of the union, Vinny, uh, Vinny, yeah. Vinny called me up uh, the day of the article, and he, he said, Phil, he said, thanks a lot for writing that article uh, about us. And he said it was very nice, and uh, he said, well stated, and he said, that's the truth, too. But he said, he, he thanked me for writing it, uh, putting it out there for, for a lot of the citizens that don't know what's going on, you know. That's great. You're like a, an advocate for the for the fire department that, well that, Vinny said that already too he yeah. said phil we, we we really appreciate when you put in a little bit of a hitman yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and not only i mean we talked the dog article was great and a fireman and then you've you've gotten into politics a little uh what's what's the climate here in in this country do you think what's going on here are we gonna get stuck with it for four more years well i don't know and again you know i you know, you, you just, I, I don't like what's going on or anything else with all the animosity and the uh, stuff like that. But right in my own house, my wife voted for him, you know, and whenever I say anything about him, she's, oh, would you be quiet, be quiet, you know. So, I mean, you know, he's got his followers and his detractors. And, I mean, I, just myself personally, I hope he doesn't, 
go another four years. I, I, don't, I don't think there's, you know, I mean, he's done a lot, which I've said to my wife. I said if he would shut his mouth and yeah. keep quiet and never say a thing. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things that I agree with him. Always with the military, the way he's, you know, taking the handcuffs off of them and different things like that. You know, he's done a lot of good things, but if he would just shut up and keep his mouth shut. But I, I just don't like the disparaging remarks he makes and the way he picks on people and, uh, you know, all kinds of things like that. It's just... Uh, and that's social media. You know, you're an old school media guy. You write to the paper and who knows how long that might be around for. But, uh, right. uh, you know, what do you think about social media and the president? Well, it, there's never been one like him before. Yeah. I mean, with these tweets and all this stuff he mm-hmm. says, and, and he's got to he's got to be driving his handlers in the White House nuts, just like the ones that just came out and said, "Well, we didn't do what he told us." And <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, and I believe that you know that, that they d- did said, "No, we can't do that. We're not going to do that." They had to protect themselves from him. You know, I mean, he's just uh, and he's one of a kind. He's a, he's a multi-millionaire, billionaire, and everything else. He always did what he. I mean, when he turned 21, his father gave him a million dollars to get started in life. How many, how many millions did your parents give you? you know, million so, ass kicking. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Back of the hand. I wouldn't yeah. even think twice about it. But, I mean, you know, he's had a silver spoon in his mouth from the day he's been 20 years old. And he's been the boss for all his life. So he, he's used to telling people, hey, kiss my ass if you don't like it. Hit the door. I don't care. You know, yeah. this or that. And now he's president. That's the way, same way he is as president now, you know. But, I mean, to me, it's just... I, I don't like him. I think he's crude and I, 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 all of the above, you know, so. He should stick to one uh, article a month like you do. Yes. <laughs> Instead of <laughs> right. 70 <laughs> tweets a night. They limit you. What's the, what's the rule on the editor? Yeah, with the Buffalo News, you can only one article every 30 days. And in the My View section, it's one article every three months. So you got to really pick them, right? Yeah. Get them in there. <laughs> well, like I said, I don't think about it. Usually something just comes up and then I think, I think, well, I, you know, I, I don't like that or I like this. And I, you know, I just run something off and send it in and, yeah. and, and a lot of them they print, but not all of them. So. Yeah. For me, I, writing is just something that is lost on me. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I could plug in a million chords as you can see, and we could do this, but <laughs> I, they have me write a paragraph, you, you know? Well, it, I mean, I was a dope in school. I mean, at time, and I don't know if you know, Joe, you know what the boomer room was? No. Well, at time, and they, they, had, they call it a boomer room. It was, uh, there was, uh, you had college entrance rooms, and you had the boomer room. And I was, I was in college entrance, but when I hit geometry, and uh, I, I think it was world history, I flunked them both in my sophomore year. And they said, you're going to the boomer room. It was a business room, but they call it the boomer room because it was all the guys that flunked out of the college entrance things and everybody in the business room and one of our teachers was a fireman his name was mike lakata he was a buffalo fireman and he taught uh at time and but in the boomer room uh you're the big thing you knew with the guys that were in the boomer room because their uh sports coats had 100 eraser marks on them as soon as the teacher left Everybody fired erasers at everybody. <laughs> yeah. all, the, all the boomers walking around time, and they go, there's another boomer. How do you know? He's like, look at the eraser marks on him. <laughs> that's all those guys do is throw erasers and shit around and everything else. And that's when I ended up in the boomer room after my sophomore year. That's when I met all the first ward guys, Ozzy Overdorf and uh, all these guys from the first ward. They were all dopes like me, you know. We were, they call us they call us the boomers, the boomer, and that's what we were. And that's and that was what I always say. That was the best part of my going to the boomer. I met all my ward guys, all the ward guys that I 
knew the rest of my life. But it was a fun room, fun time. You know, we didn't learn shit. But, we, <laughs> <laughs> but everybody could throw an eraser. Yeah, yeah. I was in that room. Yeah, I'm call it something different, but yeah. If they had it, it would have been better. I was a five-year guy at Timon. You know? <laughs> yeah. But that was about that, idiots. That was a boomer room at Timon. You you passed the only test that counted, right, Marky? There you go. Yeah. So we learned a lot about Phil Ryan here today. We, you know, we talked a little about Vietnam, uh, the articles of the firefighters and the camaraderie. Uh, I will have to say, Phil, I've uh, known you for a while. You were friends with my father. Uh, he always spoke highly of you. You're a great American. Uh, you're good for the city. You're good for these these young firefighters sticking up for them and things like that. Uh, I know Marky, you know, guys oh, like Marky really look up to you. It. Uh, we appreciate you coming by, and uh, Phil Ryan, you are now licensed to talk. Well, isn't there any more you can say about me? Is that all you can say? <laughs> God, I thought you get more than that. you got to be kidding me. Do <laughs> you want more? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. No, it was a pleasure coming on here, you know, talking to you guys, and, I, you know, I, any experiences that I had, and I, you know, Hope that everything works out good for all the young firemen that are on today and everything. And this is, uh, I, I never knew about this that you guys had until uh, you called me up and told me about it. It's really, it's, it's really neat. Yeah, know? I mean, we, we like to uh, talk to interesting people and share their stories, have a few laughs, and maybe learn something. Yeah. You should get my buddy, uh, Wilbur Fulton. He's got oh, oh, we're he, trying. He's got more jokes, and he, he used to help yeah. me deliver papers when we were, uh, I, I, was, I had a courier route. And uh, he'd help me deliver the Sunday papers, and he'd be, he'd sit on the front porch, and he, we were twelve or thirteen, and we'd be putting the papers together. And my parents, they'd be, they'd hear, and they go, he says, "Is that Wilbur Fulton? Does he ever stop talking?" He says, and he's got all them corny jokes, but he says even me and Dad laugh at him. So he'd be on the front porch telling jokes, but he's. I grew up with him, and he's oh, one God of the. God damn it! He had, he had, he's got more jokes and more tales and everything else. He was, uh, he's one of a kind. We're trying to get him on here to tell some sudsy stories. So. Oh, jeez, he's got, he's got stories about everybody. I'll tell you, and they're <laughs> yeah. all funny and good ones too. Yeah, sudsy. No, uh, oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, like I said, he's got a ton of them. Well, thanks a lot, Phil. And uh, like I said, you are now licensed to talk and keep up the good fight. Okay. All right. Thanks, all right. brother. Thanks, guys. Which we are proud to serve in man.